that he takes uh, yucky looking worms. Is that what it was? It makes us into butterflies. That was a great uh, exposition of, of the gospel. Uh, thank you, Sphinx. If you will turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Here at First Pres, we follow what's called expository preaching, where we preach especially through books of the Bible, uh, and we look at it chapter by chapter and often uh, verse by verse. Uh, and we deal with even topics that may make, us un- may make us uncomfortable or have some tension in them. And we have one of those topics this morning as we talk about the biblical roles within marriage. Uh, there are uh, fewer topics in our culture that are misunderstood more than what the Bible teaches about the roles within a, a godly marriage And so this morning, I would like to, instead of uh, preaching, which is what I usually do, I'd like to do a little more teaching. I'm sure as a preacher, I'll slip into preaching somewhere along the way. But uh, there's a subtle difference, but it is an important one. Um, I'd like to unpack, using this text as our springboard and going to Genesis and then to Ephesians, to talk about what exactly the roles of husbands and wives are within marriage. Because the, the fact is that it's not just the culture that's confused about this. I think generally uh, we have been impacted by the culture uh, and we often have our own confusion or perhaps get a little amnesia from time to time. Uh, and so I want to read First uh, Peter 3 verses 1 through 7, then we're going to skedaddle over to Genesis. And so if you'll please keep your Bibles out, we're going to do some Bible drills this morning. Um, as, we, as we look at God's word and his uh, design for marriage, uh, for godly marriages. But before we tackle this topic, let's go and ask the Lord for his help. So Father, we do ask for your help this morning. Um, the same Holy Spirit who inspired holy men uh, to write these words, your word, uh, Lord, we pray that you would send the same Holy Spirit to help us to understand. We are, are helpless without him. Uh, Lord, as we look at this text that, and these other texts, we look at this topic, that you would transform our marriages and that we'd be pointed to the ultimate underlying reality uh, of our relationship with Jesus, that we are the bride and Christ is the groom. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's first read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the world, their word, their may, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God, it shall stand forever. Amen. 
Well, as we begin to think about um, God's design for marriage and different roles within marriage, we first have to begin in Genesis chapter 1. So if you will, please turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and we'll be looking at verses 26 through 28. Um, but the thing that the world misunderstands, and perhaps we misunderstand sometimes, is that when we speak of biblical roles within marriage, we first have to begin with the fact that man and woman are created equal. There is a difference between having different roles and not being equal. God has called men and women to fulfill different roles within marriage, but that does not mean that women are somehow inferior to men. Oftentimes what you hear in the world is a caricature is made of the biblical view of marriage. It is that Christians look down on women, do not value them, or somehow they aren't um, worthy of, of honor. The exact opposite is actually true. So begin with, we first have to establish that God has made man and woman equal. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and following. This is the account of the creation of man. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Skip down, if you will, to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Verse 27 tells us that God has created all mankind in his image, both male and female in his image. Now this doesn't mean that we look like God. We know that to be true because God does not have a body. He is spirit. When we read that God made us all in his image, what it means is that we have souls and that we are responsible for our actions And that we are created to be in relationship with each other, but especially with the Lord, our God. This is the sixth day of creation. This is the last day of creation. God finishes with creating His crown jewel of creation, man and woman, in His own image. This means that man and woman, that mankind is different than the created world around us. We love our dogs and our cats. We were at the beach this week and, and we saw crabs and fish and seagulls and, and all sorts of wonderful things that God created. And we love God's creation, but we are different than the rest of God's creation. As much as we like our pets and animals, they don't have souls and therefore are not responsible in a moral sense before God for their actions. Gerald Bray, one of my mentors in seminary, put it like this. He said, you can see the marked difference between us and our animals in that if a dog bites you, there are consequences, but it is fundamentally different than if I bite you. 
If I bite you, there is sin involved. It's not just that a dog has done what a dog does. If I bite you, I have sinned against you and against the Lord. We are created different by God from the rest of creation. But God has made both male and female equal before Him. God has given us responsibility. He has given us a relationship with Him. And He has given us souls Any discussion of different roles within uh, marriage must begin here. That women are not by their creation inferior to men. But how often do we see it in our own culture? That we belittle women. In an over-sexualized environment, women are not seen as precious jewels made by God. I'll let you infer the rest. There is a big difference, I think when we think about the roles in marriage, between submission and subordination. Hang with me here. These are two important words, and I think I've put them in your, in your outline. The first is submission. The second is subordination. There's a radical difference. Submission is what happens when two parties of equal value, worth, and dignity are involved. You can only submit to someone who is your equal, technically speaking. Submission is what happens when one party who is equal to the other voluntarily and willingly submits to the leadership of another. Let me repeat that. Submission is what happens when one party who is equal to the other willingly and voluntarily submits to the leadership of another. I think the greatest example of this, and this is the the picture of our relationship with the Lord and of marriage, is that the second person of the Trinity came to earth and he submitted to the will of his Father. As we speak about the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are three persons, one God of the same substance, glory, and honor. God the Father is not more God than the Son, and the Son is not more God in in any sense than than the Spirit. But the son submitted to the will of his father. He said this over and over again in his ministry on earth. That he did not do his own will, but the will of his father. The one he is equal with. He submitted to him. And this is the image of marriage. A husband and wife are equal before God, but the wife has been called to lovingly and willingly submit to the leadership of her husband. This is not subordination. Subordination is when one party is inferior in nature to the other. That's not what happens in a biblical marriage. The greatest example here is between us and God. We are not of the same nature of God. He is creator and we are created. We are not of the same nature. That's not what marriage is like. It is a marriage of two equal parties. But one has been called in his biblical role to lead. While the wife has been called to follow, support, and help. Well, these biblical roles are established early on in creation. Turn one page over, probably in your Bibles, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we we have another account of creation. It's not um, a different account in the sense that it's telling two different stories. The the first account in Genesis 1 tells us the, the whole overarching story of how everything was created. Uh, Genesis 2 dials down to the creation of man and woman. So we pick up in Genesis 2 verse 18 and we read this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. 
I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then he said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The key to this verse is, uh, this passage is verse 18. It, it was not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God puts him to sleep in the last um, anesthesia until the 19th century. Uh, he puts him to sleep and he takes a rib out of Adam and he creates a woman. And after having seen all the animals looking for a helpmate, none of whom worked because they're not made in God's image, finally he looks at Eve and says, At last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He, he sings this love song to Eve. God had created a helpmate, a helpmeet in the old version for Adam. This is important because this is the basis of our next text. If you will, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. As you, summarize, as you turn there, let me, let me summarize that it is the, the role of the husband to lead his family and his wife in a manner in which Christ leads and has led the church. We see that, I think, most explicitly stated in this uh, Ephesians chapter 5 text. Let me begin just by looking at verses 22 through 25, and then we'll pick up the rest later. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're going to get to the wives in a second, but we must first start with the husbands. What is the role of a biblical husband? Well, it is as leader. The husband is called to lead the household and to lead his marriage. The reality is that, that, that husbands, we are leading our families. The question is, are we leading them well? We are leading our marriages. The question is, are we leading them well? You know, the thing is that our own culture pushes back against any idea of a leader and those who would follow. Any idea. You know, we, the, the government passes a law we don't like, what do we do? We disobey it. We tell them, you don't have the right. Um, but the reality is that, that God has ordained within uh, creation certain institutions that when they are followed the way that He has designed them are a great blessing for all those who are involved. What does this look like for a a husband to be the the leader of his wife and to lead his family well? Well, first and foremost, it means that he is the spiritual leader of the household. 
It is the role of the husband to set the spiritual tenor and atmosphere of the home and the marriage. It is his role and his design and his duty to point his family and his wife always to Jesus. Never in a a heavy-handed way. Never in a belittling way. Never in a micromanaging way. The same way which the Lord loves us and shows us kindness, so the, the, the godly husband is meant to lead his wife and his family daily to Jesus. There's no doubt that the women have roles here as well as they lead their children and remind their husbands of God's love. We need each other. But ultimately when it comes to setting the spiritual tenor of the family, it is the role of the husband and the father. This means that we can't be on autopilot. Do you know this setting? I think for many of us, for me as well, it can be our default setting. Do you remember driving home from work some days and you realize, I don't remember driving here. You're suddenly in your garage. I have a 2.1 mile commute. Uh, takes a long time for 2.1 miles. Uh, and you know, I, I just I don't remember making those turns sometimes. And sometimes this is how we treat our marriages too, isn't it? We get in ruts. We get in the same old, same old. And we stop leading. Leading is something that takes initiative and it takes intentionality. You don't back into, you don't fall into, uh, into leading. It takes effort. This means, by the way, that, that as husbands, our hearts have to be transformed by the gospel. If we're going to point our families and our wives to Jesus, then we have to have hearts that have been saturated and changed. Even as Spinks has said, that we would be new creations in Christ. We must see the heinousness of our own sin and see the only hope for ourselves and for our families is the love of Jesus. That we can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good works to save us or anybody else. That Christ has come and He has paid the price for our sin. That we have received that gift. If we have not received that gift, then we can't, we can't point others to it. The old saying is, and it's true, especially in our marriages and especially in our families, when it comes to spiritual matters, we cannot lead where we have not gone. If our lives, if our spiritual relationships with the Lord are an inch deep, we cannot expect, except by God's radical mercy, that anyone in our family will have a deeper walk with the Lord than we do. If we're sipping through a sippy straw, we cannot expect our families to drink um, through the McDonald's straw, the really big one, to take big gulps. He is called to be a physical leader as well. Even as Christ has laid down his life for uh, the church, so too husbands are called to lay down their lives for uh, for their wives, even to their own death. There are times when wives may earn more than husbands, and I don't find anywhere in Scripture where that says that's explicitly sinful. But at the end of the day, as the husband and wife come together, uh, the financial decisions are made together, but ultimately the decision comes down to the husband. How does the husband lead? Not in an overbearing or domineering manner, but with love and understanding. In fact, we see this in Ephesians passage that the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. 
And how did Christ love the church? He served the church. What does servant leadership look like for husbands in the marriage? It doesn't look like, hey, go get me that. You're doing that today. Or I expect you to do better. It is, how may I help you today? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Servant leadership in the home as husbands primarily looks like laying down our lives for our wives and for our families and putting their needs and desires before our own, always pointing them to the example of Christ. Have you failed at that recently? I know I have. I know I have. It's so hard, isn't it? This is why we need a Savior. Well, what about wives? We see this as well in the Ephesians 5 text and the 1 Peter 3 text we looked at earlier, this idea of being submissive to their husbands. Um, Note here in both of these texts that it says to your own husband, your own unique husband. This isn't speaking women to men in general. There are roles that only men are called to fulfill as pastor and elders and deacons, that sort of thing. But, But the text here is talking about wives to their husbands very specifically. Um... To be submissive means to let someone else be in, in, in charge. It means to follow someone. It's a, it's a word that to, in today's world carries so many negative connotations, but biblically it's a beautiful thing. John MacArthur in his commentary puts it this way, The idea is not of subservience or civility, servility, but of willingly functioning under the husband's leadership. The word submit does not necessarily mean always to obey. Um, Certainly, wives are not called to obey their husbands when they want them to do ungodly things, like not go to church or cheat on your taxes or or raise the children in an ungodly manner. Um, But I think, first and foremost, it means respect. We see this in the Ephesians 5 text in verse 33b. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know it's vogue now to talk bad about your spouses. Um, perhaps you've seen this at the water cooler when uh, your buddies at work are saying, hey, my wife, you know, she's crazy, she did X, Y, and Z, or my husband, I can't believe he'd do that. You know, that's nothing but sin. Nothing but sin. For both the husband and the wife, our relationship should always be respect. My parents would not let me watch the show The Simpsons growing up with good reason. And the reason they chose amongst the thousands of good reasons not to watch the show was that the husband, Homer, was belittled and displayed as a fool. That's not the biblical image of a husband. And it's the role of both the man to respect his wife and the wife to respect her husband. Um, It means that you don't have two authority structures in a home. You know, a house divided cannot stand. Do you remember when you were a kid and you really wanted a a new toy? What did you do? You went to mom, 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 can I have this? And she said, no. What'd you do? You had to hurry before she had a chance to talk to your father and say, Dad, 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 can I have this? Uh, Those are two authority structures within a home. Having a a unified command structure, if you can use that that phrase, of working together. It's kind of like a rowboat. If you have uh, two sets of oars, uh, someone's got to decide where you're going. Because otherwise, you're not going to go anywhere. I think a third thing it means is is not living in a contentious manner. 
um, not complaining. Fourthly, I think it means being a helper. This is straight from Genesis chapter 2. A help meet, one who seeks to help. And just like a, a husband is called to lead from a godly character, so too are women. We see this in the First Peter text we began with today. That, that God calls these godly women to adorn their hearts and not their bodies with ostentatious jewels. Or The beauty of a godly woman is not um, from the latest brands or the fancy jewelry, but a, but a heart that is adorned with godliness, holiness, purity, gentleness, and a quiet spirit. And these things only come from a heart that has been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us can fulfill any of these uh, requirements or duties or roles unless we are depending radically upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will fail every time if we do this in our own strength. Only as those who know that Jesus is the only way of salvation. It is only when Jesus is lovely that we love to do what He commands. This means that this, uh, the godly woman, the godly uh, wife, is one who uh, doesn't wait always for her husband to open the Bible, but she opens the Bible on her own and prays deeply for her family, prays for grace. Well, the problem is that we are sinners. In Genesis 3.16, um, we read this. This is part of the um, curse upon creation. Uh, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The reality is that because of the fall, we as men and women, as husbands and wives, we move in the opposite direction naturally from what God has called us to do. God has called men to lead their families, but because of the fall, we are sinners. We move away from those things, and we run into autopilot, and we shut down, and we don't lead. And wives uh, are the the opposite direction. They have been called to follow and to submit, and they instead move towards uh, authority and being in charge. We see this in the 316 passage Genesis here, when it says, Your desire shall be for your husband. This can also be translated as against your husband. This is not a a good desire in in this context. It is that you would take control of the marriage. And so we need Jesus. Our marriages have no hope without Jesus. If you have a marriage without Jesus in it, your marriage is empty. Jesus is the hope of our marriage. I'm not the hope of your marriage. You're not the hope of your marriage. Because anytime you have two sinners married together, it gets messy, doesn't it? Jesus is the only hope. It is only when we walk together as those who have submitted to Him and have received His grace and His love and His forgiveness will we ever have marriages that are blessed by the Lord. Because the key to growing closer to each other is by growing closer to each other, uh, growing closer to the Lord. As we grow closer to the Lord, we grow closer to each other. All this points us to Jesus. Um, we are the groom, and he is the, uh, sorry, he is the groom, and we are the bride. And one day, we will have the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we all sit around and rejoice that we are finally with our groom. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would cause our marriages to be godly and transformed by the gospel and that we would fulfill the roles to which you have called us, that that we as men, the husbands in this room, would, would lead well, 
and that the wives would follow and submit well with joy, even as we look to the example that we have in Christ, how He submitted to you, O Father, and His work here. Lord, we pray these, all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.